Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 2, Episode 37, brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. I'm sitting here with the Becky Nader. She's texting somebody right now on her phone, which is... I'm not... I'm not translating that as rude. I'm but... not texting. I'm Googling. Oh, she's difference. Googling. That's a totally different you thing. You told me to double verify something I'm about to say. That's true. We often, I often say at home to my 14-year-old daughter who has had a smartphone for all of three months now, that when I look over and I see her doing what Becky's doing right now, which is staring at her little screen, we'll say something like, who are you texting now? And she'll, she'll say, I'm not texting. I'm on Instagram. I'm Insta-storying. Yeah, she's doing something like that. So anyway, we're here... Uh, in the month of September, uh, our theme this month is about seasonal change, about moving from one place to an, a new place in your life, and how seasons are kind of embedded at the core of our soul. Uh, God created the world to move between these cycles of life and death that change everything up every few months or so, unless you live in like Palm Springs, California, where nothing ever changes there, I guess, from what I understand. But but if you live in a part of the world where there are four seasons, some of them are just more difficult to notice the change of the seasons. But here in Colorado, it's it's like right in your face. You can't help but notice the change of the seasons. It's and happening. It's happening right now. And, and this idea that change life to death is built into our very context for living, so it goes deep in us, and then it's translated into the way that we live our lives. Um, We are people of seasons. We like to mark the boundaries and rails around our life in such a way that we move from one season to another season in our life. We, We have this sort of innate fixation, actually, on this movement uh, amongst our life's seasons. And we are like right now standing, uh, the image I have in my mind is like at the top of a huge water slide, and we're like the fourth person in line. And we can see the lip of the water slide right in front of us, and we know in four more people, we're going to be going down that thing. And that's where we are seasonally right now as, as, as people, because we are at the end of September, we're looking forward into October, and we know Halloween is at the end of October, and then don't you feel this? As soon as, as soon as Halloween hits, it's like a water slide. You're just hurtling down toward the end of the year. And I find myself saying every year, man, once Halloween hit, just things just speeded up through Thanksgiving and Christmas, and that is just a, a breakneck time of the year, it the feels like. The next thing you know, you're celebrating your New Year's resolution. <laughs> That's right. And, and you're you saying... don't even remember what happened. And you're saying, I'm not going to do the holidays like that again. That's my New Year's resolution. And yet we kind of repeat ourselves every year that that we, we don't know how to ride the water slide in any way, but at top speed. Um, it, it just sort of... The momentum carries us forward. So... We're going to talk today about, uh, this is crazy, crazy title for this, living in the heart of Jesus as you're going down the water slide. What does it look like to live intimately with Jesus when you are caught up 
in the momentum, the breakneck pace of this change of seasons. We love it and we hate it at the same time. So what does it look like to live intimately with Jesus and maybe capture his heart for how he lived in the midst of his breakneck, pressured life where he had no margin and what were the rhythms of his life, and how did he navigate this in a healthy way? So so we like to organize our life around the change in the seasons, and we like to intersperse extraordinary times into our ordinary times. Uh, so we do this, you know, in, in the United States with, we have our holidays, we have our, you know, New Year's Day, MLK Day, George Washington's birthday, I'll just read you the federal holidays, Memorial Day, Independence Day, Labor Day, Columbus Day, Veterans Day, Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day, we have these like eight or nine holidays that are federally approved. Uh, you can notice Halloween's not not in that list, but it, it might as well be because it's a major deal for us here in America. So our 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 life is sort of broken up by these sort of some of them are micro holidays, like we we notice them, but they don't make that much of a difference in our daily life. And some are macro, like make a huge difference in the patterns of our everyday life. And we 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 like our life to be broken up into these little segments like this that we're moving towards something and away from something all the time. You could think of it in terms of the Catholic liturgical year, which is organized around Advent, Christmas, Lent. Um, a little-known thing that I, I wasn't even familiar with this phrase, but it's the three days from Good Friday to Easter called the Sacred Paschal Triadum. Um, I'd never even heard that phrase, but that's actually part of the Catholic liturgical year. Those three days are, are marked out as uh, very special days through the year, and obviously Easter and then ordinary time is interspersed amongst these. And then the Beckinator um, put on her Google cap, that's what she was checking out right now, I think, uh, mm-hmm. that that she she uh, explored what are some of the ancient Jewish holidays that sort of boundaried and put rails around uh, the the lives of the ancient Jews that that really were their, were their markers for moving into and moving away from. So she came up with a, a pretty impressive list of words I can't pronounce. I uh, can't pronounce them either, so we're just going to ask for forgiveness now. Yeah. Right, we're going to try r- r- right our best. Right at the top end, yeah. Yeah, actually, and I'm going to include this on the podcast description and the website page where we publish um, this podcast. I made a whole table of the Jewish holiday calendar when they are in the next 12 months and a little description of them. And then if there's a, any biblical references of them, I included that. So we'll include the whole thing um, for all of the uh, holidays. But what I thought, I thought I would just highlight a few things that as I was doing this, in the 30 minutes before we started this podcast, because that's how we roll <laughs> deep, around here. Deep research. I I wanted to highlight a few things that I found interesting. One, we did not plan this, but I have triple verified this, even USA Today published. Oh, wow. That's the Bible of all that's, verifications. That's how we know. Yeah. Yeah. Today, it won't be your today, but our today um, is September 20th, and we are recording this on Rosh Hashanah, which is literally... The New Year. So today is Jewish New Year. Um, it actually starts this evening. Um, it's not right now while we're recording this. This is what I verified. It starts this evening and it goes all the way to the 22nd. Um, and it, this is just kind of held on the first um, day of autumn. That's actually how it follows. So this follows the lunar calendar. I, lo- um, I love I love the technical ri- you know uh, description of what Rosh Hashanah means. It means the a day of shouting and blasting. It's you, a single day of ram's horn blowing and temple consecrating. 
which as it turns out, I did not prepare in advance and get uh, a temple to consecrate a ram's horn through Amazon. I was thinking I didn't build a temple to consecrate. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I have to. I have to say that. Yeah, you didn't. I have to say this quite like little tiny little rabbit trail. I heard uh, on this uh, uh, NPR show um, called Radio Lab uh, last week. They did it. They did an experiment to find out what would it actually take to bring down the walls of Jericho, and they got an auditory specialist to determine how many ram's horns would have to be blown at the same time to, you know, if if you didn't believe in miracles and you just thought the ram's horns are what, what the sound of them are what actually brought the walls down, how many ram's horns would you have to have? And it was something like 700,000 ram's horns. <laughs> but he said it was possible. It's possible well, you could you bring go. down the walls as long as you had 700,000 of them. So, wow. But I got to hear what a ram's horn sounds like and I don't think I'd like to hear more than one ram's horn myself. No, I don't think so. Yeah, they're pretty loud. So. Well, this this time of year, and it's ironic because we were, you know, we thought, oh, this is the time of year that kind of like this sequence of kind of Jewish holidays started. It really goes pretty quickly, just like our our Christmas season, um, except for it starts earlier. It goes Rosh Hashanah, and then it goes into Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. Then and, it you, goes, and you said that's the, the like the holiest day of the day day of the year. Yep. And then it goes into Sakat, which I probably just botched how that's you know we already asked for, for forgiveness, so we don't have to do that. So it goes into this this feast of um, tabernacles. And the feast of tabernacles, or the feast of booths, was mentioned uh, frequently this in the gospels. Of, too. Yeah, this is kind of their Thanksgiving. They they it's like a festival. It's an agricultural festival that celebration of the fruit. And then it goes into another one that I, another two that I can't. Can I try that one? Yeah, you try it. Shimini Azteherit. I'm sorry. Okay. Sorry for botching that. And the next one is Simchat Torah. Yeah. I'm sure we said That's that wrong. It's a celebration of the Torah, which means it's a, it's a really a focus on uh, the Jewish love of the Torah, the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. So. Yeah. And then the, and then you know this one, Hanukkah, that goes into. The celebration, it's a it's a lesser Jewish festival lasting eight days, um, and it's commemorating the rededication of the temple in 165 BC. And it's not in the Bible, actually. So I, the ones that had um, biblical references I included, but actually Hanukkah is not in the Bible. Um, but Purim, which is the next one, I actually thought this was really interesting. Purim is actually mentioned in Esther 9.26, and it's actually just remembering what she did at that time. Um, so Saving the Jewish nation, saving the, the, the yep. Jews. Yeah. And then you get into Passover, um, which we know that one as well. And it was when um, the Lord um, passed over many of the Jews, um, and people actually put lamb's blood above their doors. You probably remember the Bible stories about that. And then you get into a bunch of Jewish... We have to stop at Passover, Passover because obviously the crucifixion of Jesus happened at Passover, and and it's interesting in the kind of uh, macro picture here that you put blood on your door so that the angel of death will pass by you, that's Passover, and here we have the blood of Jesus saving us. Uh, it's it's so poetic, and mm-hmm. it's so integrated from such a macro picture. These Jewish holidays are embedded into the kind of the story of the people of God, and, and actually were overwritten 
by the gospel in the sense that Jesus now, his, his suffering, death, and resurrection happens during Passover is a powerful overriding of this seasonal change of the, of the people of God. It's, it's like God putting his exclamation mark on this season of change by, by making it uh, happen that at the very time of Passover, Jesus is on the cross. So Well, and at their time, that was like the, the most the most memorable um, event of our God saving us and giving us grace at their time. That was the biggest remembrance. And now we have Easter, you know, yeah. and we, we celebrate that. But back then, this was, this was their thing. They were like, we remember this time. Um, good. The, the rest of the holidays are interesting. They're actually um, Yam HaShoah. They're all hard to pronounce, by the way. The last four. <laughs> really bad. And, and mostly you've never heard of them. But they're like, that's like their Veterans Day. Like they remember those who have fallen in wars and were victims of terrorism. Um, Yam Ha'atzumat is Israel's Independence Day. Lag Omer is the counting of the Omer, which I, it's basically a counting of days. Like it's just, they counted a bunch of days um, leading up to Shavuot which um, commemorates the revelation of the Torah on Mount Sinai to the Jewish people and occurs on the 50th day after the 49 days of counting the Omer. So basically these are remembrance days. And what I, what I was really realizing as I was kind of doing this was back then they did not have personal Bibles. They didn't have Bible studies or small groups. They didn't go to church every week. Oftentimes, some of them only went to temple like maybe once a year, depending on their distance from a temple or their financial circumstances. And so these holidays were really organized around remembering why they followed the Lord, uh, remembering what happened, because just as humans, we get complacent and we forget the grace that has been given us. We forget the salvation that's happened in our life, and they did not have the Holy Spirit they did not have direct access to God at that time. And so these holidays were really just built so that all the time there was something reminding them of their faith and why it mattered. What's interesting is that it makes sense that these holidays and how meticulous they are, they're meticulous remembrances of things to try to kind of guide our lives and put boundaries and guardrails around why we're living our life and what our life is really all about. They had context and meaning to what our life is really all about. That's what these are meant to do. And, and if you think about it, uh, even our American holidays are, are similar in that way. We're, we're being drawn to remember something uh, that's important in our lives. It's, it's true, though, that these holidays often give way to a different kind of momentum. Even in the liturgical calendar, when we say Advent or Christmas or Lent, uh, sometimes the, the whole idea of Lent, I have lots of Catholic friends, and I know that sometimes it's, a, it's easy to lose focus about what Lent is really all about, too. It's just about self-sacrifice. Well, what, what for? What is the self-sacrifice for? It's easy to divorce the practice of the holiday from its, its real intent and meaning. That just happens to us as human beings, but if, they're in, if their intent is to help us to remember that is a, a very important thing, because we are notorious forgetters. The people of God have been forgetting him for forever. We go through 
our seasons of change could be marked by our remembering and our forgetting. If you look at the history of the people of God, we, we have seasons where we remember God, and, there, and certainly we are headed toward the season of forgetting Him when we're in a season of remembering. Which is ironic, because really the, the Christmas holiday is not in the Bible. I mean, Jesus' birth is in there, but this whole like presence and you know, celebration that we do, it's not actually... Yeah, all this other stuff sort of takes yeah. over the remembrance. Yeah. But we do this, and we, we, you know, nobody told us that we had to do this, right? I mean, the Bible doesn't say, now, remember me by celebrating on December 25th every year, because it's really not Jesus' birthday. And even in our remembrance, uh, I was, we, Becky and I were talking about this before, one of the things that, I, I know this is going to sound funny, but it, it kind of drives me crazy at Christmas time, where you're at church and you hear people say, we're preparing for the birth of Jesus, well, no, you're not. It's not like in our celebration, Jesus is born all over again into our midst, or we, we use language that says we're preparing ourselves for Jesus, but actually he's here already. We're not preparing ourselves for Jesus to come into our lives again. We're just celebrating. We're, yeah. re- we're remembering what so happened we, then. We created this holiday as a way to remember, but the reason why we're talking about being all being in a place where we're at the top of the water slide is because we're about to go into a season where we all of this distraction happens all the way into the new year and it's really hard it's it's uh, we've talked about financial stress um that comes along with this we've talked about family obligation stress um that comes along with this um yeah, it's it's like and, it's like these this season creates an over momentum in us. We overspend, we over stress, we over schedule, we we overcommit, we uh, and on and on and on. We just it's an overtime. And we love Christmas, but there's a little bit of like stress. Yeah, I, I and tension that starts to build even thinking about it. Isn't it true that we often think when we're here at this place, we're four people behind the top of the water slide right now, and we and we're saying to ourselves, "I'm going to do it differently this year." I didn't like what happened last year. I feel like I missed the meaning of things, and I got carried away and caught up in the white water that happens when you get on the slide. And I'm going to do it differently this year. I'm going to do it. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to enjoy the season. And then every year we look back and say, well, that didn't happen. Every year I say I'm going to do my Christmas shopping in July. (laughs) It's September, people. I didn't even think about it. It's like, whoop, there we go. And we say these things because we intrinsically know that there's something not right about our soul in the midst of this water slide experience of the last three months of the year. We we would prefer some other kind of pace, some other kind of... We, we're hungering for meaning. These holidays promise meaning to us. Yet, you know, in the case of Halloween, it's the one time of the year where where everyone is sort of focused on the supernatural. I guess you could call it that. Um, it's it's in, in a cartoony way, typically. But... Spoiler alert, we're going to be focusing on the supernatural next yeah. month. And we already it... told the pigs, but we thought we'd tell you. <laughs> That's true. And uh, So Halloween kind of focuses our, our, our attention on something that is uh, everywhere in the New Testament. The supernatural is everywhere in the New Testament, so Halloween kind of is this heightened awareness time, and then we move into Thanksgiving, which is focused on gratefulness and thinking, and mostly it's a celebration of family. I get. I think that that's what it's been translated into. Thanksgiving is a celebration of family. Christmas is a celebration of Jesus, ostensibly, but it's really more of a uh, uniquely American expression of consumerism <laughs> in a lot of ways. We just we have translated it into 
um, this kind of time where we express our love for the people that we care about, and we want to make sure that we've checked all of our boxes as far as our expressions of love for the people we care about. So this is this is kind of where we're at. We we as people as human beings we need these boundaries and rails, and yet they often morph into something else. They mo- often morph into not helping us in our life with Jesus. Instead, um, they're, they're, they're enemies of our life with Jesus. And it's one reason why we, you know, we've talked before about we have a, a new uh, Jesus-centered planner that we've just mm-hmm. released in the last month that is for 2018. And the point of the planner is to um, help to put guardrails and boundaries around our everyday life so that we have a sense of purpose and momentum that is not controlled by our circumstances. So the planner helps us not only to schedule things, but also to stop, pause, and think about our relationship with Jesus and experiment in our relationship with Jesus along the way. I would say it's even—it's it's there to give permission for Jesus to interrupt our natural tendency towards planning. So we norm around a habit of planning, and that's just because, you know, life is the way it is, and so there's an element of planning that is necessary for juggling the amount of things that we have to juggle. Um, But this planner is designed to invite Jesus to actually interrupt that process um, in a good way. We also have, going into this season, we actually have a free download. It's a holiday planner. It's called a holiday planner because it covers multiple holidays that we're going into, not just Christmas. And it's also designed specifically to be an interrupter um, to your normal holiday busyness. Um, And it's got the practical stuff that you need, like um, planning for gift giving and that kind of thing. It's um, got worksheets. But it also has a lot of good reminders during the season and ideas for renorming our holidays around Jesus. So it's 30 pages and it's beautiful and it's a free download so we'll offer it in this podcast as well. And you're and you're talking about these sort of resources as sort of um planning resources but they're actually at their core the way we're trying to do this is they're remembering resources. Yep. The the interrupter part that you're talking about is really how do we remember Jesus when we're hurtling down a water slide? And how reorient do we... ourselves to the to the right things. Without the kind of baggage that usually comes with that, which mm-hmm. is, you know, this year I'm going to do this differently, or I should be doing this differently. All of the shoulds that surround this three-month time, uh, that's, not, that's not the kind of life, because a should is really built around my own capacity for willpower. That's what a should is trying to tap into, and that's not what we're trying to tap into here in this kind of season of time. These interrupters that are in these two planner resources are really designed for us to enter into the heart of Jesus in the midst of all of this, and not in a way that is shaming or um, or demanding. Um, so it's really an invitation into relationship with him during this time. So th- it's a good thing to plan our time and not let our circumstances run our life, but but to be uh, sort of in charge over those circumstances and to be uh, people who choose our way through our time instead of letting those circumstances just kind of dictate to us. So where is the tension line between this need to remember, to boundary our everyday life by things that we go into and out of all the time, and to schedule things and plan things? Where's the tension between that 
and living our life uh, with freedom in the Spirit. These two things seem like on the surface to be in opposition. One has, at at its extreme, I'm in control. I'm scheduling, I'm planning, I'm kind of controlling my way toward um, a happy and successful life. And we know that life sometimes, often actually, throws curves that destroys that illusion of control that we have. But we have this need to feel safe, secure, and, and on point by uh, planning our schemes and strategies ahead of time. So what's the tension between that and simply not living with any boundaries around you? Uh, somewhere in the middle of there is the, is the kind of the, the tension line that we walk between uh, a planner mentality and a spirit-dependent mentality. So, the title of this episode is Live in the Heart of Jesus, as we're going down the water slide. So, Becky and I are going to just explore a little bit from our own story, rooted in the example of Jesus, about how to live in the midst of this. So, if we pay attention to Jesus and how he lived his life, from especially from when he uh, started what we call his public ministry at age 30, until his death uh, on the cross and his resurrection, once he did his first miracle at the wedding at Cana, oh my gosh, from that point on, it was three years of unbelievable water slide life. Crowds, epic confrontations with religious leaders, uh, remarkable miracles, things that nobody had ever seen before and nobody has seen since, just going from huge crowds to hardly anybody, um, and vacillating between these. And the, 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 this three-year period of Jesus' life, how did he live his life in a way that was centered and balanced and walking the tension line between spirit dependence and planning what was going to come next? So we thought we'd explore this a little bit as a way of offering a, a way forward for all of us. So the first one I thought of was the way that Jesus lived with a, with a mind towards Sabbath all the time. So we think of Sabbath as being like the Sunday, the seventh day of the week where we're supposed to not work, or we're supposed to rest, and somehow that's been morphed into we've traded kind of the compartment of work that is typical for the other six days for a compartment of work that has a religious focus. So the work we do on Sabbath is we do religious work. We go to church, we do. We know that we're supposed to do that, so that's that's our job is to go to church on on the Sabbath day. But Sabbath, it's a really it's it's a twisted version of Sabbath. Sabbath simply means that at the heart of God, there is rest. When God created the world, uh, He rested on the seventh day, not because He was t- not because He was um, incapacitated after creating the world. It's because He was trying to say that rest is part of what it means to live in the kingdom of God, that rest is part of our life. So Jesus lived in Sabbath all the time, not just on the Sabbath day, meaning he, he lived with an eye toward rest and restoration in his everyday life. So you can see so many examples of, especially when he had been with crowds, kind of the pacing kind of went like this. He was with crowds of any size in a highly engaged way, then he retreated to his smaller community, where he could just kick back. You could kind of get the visual of hanging out at maybe your favorite hangout restaurant um, place um, with your closest friends, 
and you're kind of decompressing um, from your very highly engaged life. So you're just hanging out. So you would go from these large things that were pressured to hanging out with his closest friends and kind of processing what just happened and talking with them. And then the next circle uh, in this con- these, these concentric circles would be Jesus going off alone. Um, he is often retreating alone to find time and space just to be intimate with his Father, to process the two the, between he and his Father processing what was going on. And, and uh, this rhythm of the highly pressured, highly demanding parts of your life where you're highly engaged to moving toward your, your small group of close-knit friends where you can simply process what's happening in you and in your circumstances to then being alone and then repeating it all over again is a pattern of rest in Jesus. So the, the, the rest of being with friends is a true rest where you can be yourself and um, help process what's going on in your life, feel love and encouragement, support, and even challenge from that close-knit group of friends, and then that other part where you're alone. So one thing I'd like to encourage you and me, as we're looking over the edge of the water slide here, is to figure out how those three things can work together for you in the next three months. You're going to have these highly engaged times, but then make sure that you're also having uh, quieter times with a close-knit group of friends in the midst of all this that aren't huge and demanding and highly engaging, where you can kind of breathe um, with your close-knit group of friends, and then make sure you have times of utter aloneness, where, for me, um, I have to be in a physical space that guarantees my aloneness, or I don't feel fully alone. So for me, I either take advantage of the times when my house is, is completely empty, or I, if it's not empty, I'll go down to our basement and sit on this ratty old orange couch I have down there to be completely alone. Or when I go to the bathroom, I just spend half an hour in there instead of the two minutes I actually need to be in there. I spend a half an hour in there. And the reason why is because that door is closed and I am sectioned away from the rest of the world. So whatever it takes to feel sectioned away and alone, find everyday ways to incorporate that concentric circle into your life as well, because it's important to breathe also directly, intimately with Jesus in the midst of this time. And it doesn't have to be uh, going away for a retreat day or something like that. It means that you're conscious of taking the opportunity to be utterly alone whenever you're able to do it. This is a pattern that we see in the heart of Jesus, because this is, how it me- this is what it means to live in a healthy way in the kingdom of God. What's one for you, Becky? Well, I actually, in your, in your like three there, I know that ugh, a lot of people, especially if you have young kids at home, being alone is probably the one that you're like, I'm never alone. Mm. But I think Rick gave some good examples of how you can kind of enter in that world where you're never alone, find some time to be alone. Maybe it's nap time. Maybe it is literally hiding in the bathroom. But the one that actually stuck out to me that I think that we're struggling with the most is actually retreating to smaller communities. Mm. 
Um, I think that it's harder and harder in our world. And, you know, retreating into smaller communities is not spending time on social media, watching people's lives. That's not the same thing. I think that we need to find um, ways that we start having more community, whether that's opening our homes up more often to host dinner parties or game nights or whatever it is. But, you know, the smaller community thing, I think, is one that we really struggle with. Maybe we feel like, oh, I go to church every Sunday, so I'm in community. You know, that's the point of church is to be in community. And a lot of you have told us that you're in small groups, which is a great way to have small community. But if you don't have that, you know, it can be hard to kind of start, I think, just even starting small where you call up a friend and you start just at least getting together um, on a regular basis. I was listening. Brene Brown is doing a tour right now, and she did a live video last night before her, she went on stage, and she was taking real live questions from Facebook. And one of them was about this idea of, like, I I don't even know where to start when you say don't isolate yourself, get in intentional community where do I don't even have anybody that I feel like I can do that with. And she, she really did encourage, I I loved one of the things she said is don't TV, don't make it a TV program. You know, don't make it about like the show friends where it's this like idyllic kind of um, friend community where it has to hold, it has to hold up to this like idyllic, Impossible standard. Um, impossible standard. It it could be just that you get together and you're in space together and you're just having intentional time. But we overthink even that idea of intentional community. We make it too big of a a thing to live up to. So I love know. I love what you're saying right there, Becky. Too. And I'm just thinking um, here because we're not we're looking at the lip of the water slide. We're not on it yet. Here's an opportunity. So if you pause just for a moment and let the spirit nudge you in this way. I'm going to give you a moment to pause in just a second, but pause to ask, who have I been out of touch with? Who have I longed for, but life has just sort of shoved them out of my life a little bit? I'm thinking of uh, two people right now that 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 is true for me right now. Um, or even um, uh, we have a, a couple that we're close friends with, but for some reason in this last year, our, 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 the rhythm of our lives has taken us out of just getting together with them. So I'm thinking of them right now, too. What we can do right now before we're on the water slide is, this is where planning is a help and a remembrance. We, we can plan to respond to the nudge of whoever is brought up in your mind, and, and right now schedule or plan for a time to be with them, because we know that once we're on the water slide, it'll be really hard to do that. But right now, we have the freedom to do it. So I'm going to pause just for a second. I'm going to give you five seconds. Let the Spirit nudge who it is that, that you might need to reach out to and plan a time to get together with. Ready? Here we go. Spirit, nudge. Okay, here's the beauty of following the Spirit of Jesus. Once you feel nudged, now it's on you. Now now you're accountable. What will you do with the gift he's trying to give you right now? What will you do? So I encourage you to follow through with it. The next one on our thing here is mealtimes. Um, there are a lot of mealtimes built into the ancient Jewish calendar as well. There are a lot of feasts built into it. My wife is half Italian and half Irish, and 
you also see this in in very strong ethnic backgrounds where a lot of their important gatherings and markers in their life are built around food, mealtimes. Um, and- this is my love language right here. <laughs> both, both in the entertaining and the cooking and the prepping, and I love this is like my joy. I I could spend hours in the kitchen. This is that's my Sabbath. But I, I just don't, I, I don't think that there's anything that I find more joyful in the whole entire world than feeding people really good food. I just really love doing why do you that. Think, why do you think that is, Becky? What, what is I it tapping no, into? It's just, I love just being able to witness people enjoying themselves and to kind of spoil them a little bit. And I'm, you know, I'm always, whenever I have someone over to my house, I'm very like wanting to to like, what's the special way that you like things? Um, and what, what ways can I make you feel super special, um, in this crazy hectic world where we never get to sit down for a minute. And I just, I love sitting around the table and having everybody laugh and, um, share stories. And I just, I love it. We just had the most random group of people a few weeks over to our house. We had some new neighbors move into the neighborhood one's like a retired firefighter another one's a guy who he works for the forest service so he like he worked five days in a row and then he has like two days off and so he doesn't have a lot of time to build community and then another guy is the the head of the music program at CSU and they're all three like single men who you know don't have a lot of people in their life and it was just from very different backgrounds and hmm. Um, we had all three of them over for a barbecue, and it was just absolutely divine. That's great, love, lovely. That's great. And you know, there, there is. I, I was thinking about the, this whole idea that meal times are huge in the in our history as the people of God, but they're also huge in the pattern of behavior that Jesus exhibited in the Gospels too. He uh, he often was involved at mealtime with people, and meals were uh, actually an invitation into intimacy. In the Jewish culture, if you invited somebody over to eat with you, or you accepted an invitation to eat, it was it was really a relationally charged thing you were doing. You were entering into relationship at a deeper level. That's why when Zacchaeus invited Jesus to come over for dinner, it was such a scandalous thing, because Jesus accepted it. Instead of saying, no, you're an unclean person, you're a, you're a betrayer, you're, I'm not going to associate with you. In fact, you could say that one of the chief complaints of the religious leaders about Jesus was that he ate with people he shouldn't have eaten with all the time, because that was an indication of his openness to relationship, just that, like the story you just shared, Becky, was communicating to your new neighbors an openness to relationship by having a barbecue. And so it, it's, it's profound for me in John 6 when Jesus tells the crowds over and over again, eat my body and drink my blood if you want any part of me, and that is, I think, that the tipping point of history, actually, is when Jesus said, this is what I'm really after, and the crowd said, no, thank you, because I don't understand what you're asking. But his disciples said, yes, thank you. Yes, we will eat and drink you, Jesus. And eating and drinking simply means taking something from outside your body, inside your body. It's an act of intimacy, and Jesus is inviting us to, to respond to his invitation to take him from outside of us, you know, as sort of this compartment in our life that we can control, to inside us, where we literally ingest Jesus and he becomes part of us. He, he says what his endgame is, 
I in you and you in me. I want that kind of intimacy. So mealtimes are—now, hang with me here. Mealtimes are a way of us remembering this, this very core uh, uh, direction, this very core passion that Jesus has for the two to become one. When we eat together, we're taking something from outside us to inside us, and we're taking friends from uh, distant, uh, I hold you at arm's length, too close. Here, come in, and I'm inviting you into a closer relationship. Meals themselves have this momentum around them that actually filters into the momentum of the relationships around us. So mealtimes are a huge thing during this time uh, of you know busyness and everything else. As long as the mealtime is slowed down in honor of its true purpose, which is relationship, that's really the sticky point here. When you're going down the water slide, how do you slow down to eat? <laughs> so th- this is an important, I think, thing to think about during these next three months. As you think about your mealtimes, think about them with the filter of how can we slow the mealtime down? Mm-hmm. It's a subtle way in the midst of all this Board speed. Board games. Yeah. That's how I do it. <laughs> not B-O- oh, wait. Not B-O-R-E-D not- day. Oh, games. you're not leaving because we're getting out some board games. <laughs> You're stuck. Yeah, we have a uh, Saturday night has been in, uh, for years our family board game night, and we listen to two hour radio program called the R and B Jukebox on Saturday nights. It's just all classic R and B music, which is so great. We turn up loud. We play board games. Um, and as our family's getting older, I have a daughter at college now. It's starting to break apart the, this this kind of night that we've had as a family. But it was such an important way for us to slow down and pay attention to each other. So, it, you know, you said that with a smile on your face, but it's actually quite strategic to play to play a game. That's a way to slow down your meal time, and it's a perfect way to extend your meal time. And it leads us into the next one. Oh yeah, playfulness. Uh, playfulness. What, what 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 pops into your head when we when we say this this idea of playfulness and as a habit pattern that Jesus might have that that we could emulate. It is so hard to prioritize this. I think this is actually the hardest one for me per- personally to prioritize because you it's just like, you know, you're on the conveyor belt. I work full time, I commute. Um not as much as Rick does, but I commute every day. And then on the weekends, I have to do the house stuff, you know. You got a meal prep, you got to do all of the chores and all this stuff. And sometimes I feel like I get to Sunday and I'm like, I see my hammock just hanging by the door. And I'm like, oh, how did I miss hammock time at the park today? Because that's really what I want to do. I just want to go play. I just want to, you know, spend some time. It's kind of like a quasi Sabbath rest slash spending some time playing or, you know, how how did we get through dinner and we didn't pull out the backgammon game or, you know, it's just really hard to remember to prioritize to play. I was just with my sister. Well, I was with multiple sisters um, this weekend um, celebrating and kissing babies, which is um, was awesome. But one of my it sisters... Sounds, sounds like you're a politician. I know, it does. But, but there's lot, there was lots of babies to kiss. They were cute. Um, But one of my sisters is so playful. She is just naturally this way. She is just so much fun. And we stayed up like till midnight. I don't know if you guys are on Snapchat. I'm not really on Snapchat. I have an account, 
But my sisters, a lot of them are on Snapchat. And so it's a way to keep in communication. Well, they have this thing called filters where you can videotape yourself and it puts like things on your face, like puppy ears or like puts you into these videos. It's absolutely hilarious. And we, we stayed up till midnight doing these snap Snapchat videos with filters, sending them to my other sister who wasn't there, who lives in Arizona and sending them back and forth. Just laugh. I have not laughed that hard. I, we had tears streaming down our face. We were laughing so hard. I didn't even know what a filter was until this weekend, but they're quite fun. And, but that she just, she doesn't even have to think about it. She just automatically goes to playfulness all the time. And, and, that, and that is a uh, sort of an overlooked and unexpected trait of Jesus. He was quite playful. And th- this is one of the reasons why he loved children so much. And he told the adults around him, don't, don't keep these children from me. They, they get me. And they also understand what, life in the kingdom of God is like, because life in the kingdom of God involves a lot of play as well. If you haven't listened to, we did a whole episode on this called Jesus Was a Party Animal. Yeah. And uh, we kind of highlighted all of the times that Jesus was either on his way or at a party. <laughs> yeah. And and even hiving off of what uh, you just said, Becky, what, what does it mean to live playfully in the midst of this kind of three-month season of pressure and busyness and all this? I, I'm thinking about these are playful means on the way. Uh, it, it almost always means how do you um, open yourself to laughter and play when you're on the way, when you're in the midst of things. And one of the things that we've done for years, uh, because we live in Colorado, we usually have a few snowstorms a year that are big enough for us to go to the sledding hill. And uh, I, you know, I'm 56, and I show up, and most of the other parents who are in kind of my age range or even younger, they stand at the top of the hill, and they watch their kids sled down the hill. I always sled down the hill with them. Oh, yeah, that's my sister all the way. Yeah. What are you doing? Get on the sled. I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to break 12 bones. I'm fragile. <laughs> exactly. The adults typically stand at the top of the hill, and they gossip. And I, it seems crazy to me that we're on a sledding hill, and I have a toboggan that I could use if I want, and I don't do it. So I do it. I embarrass my kids sometimes, and I crack up, and I, you know, run over little kids sometimes. Um, <laughs> but, but the idea that you would take advantage of an opportunity to play rather than to stand on the sidelines is part of this. Like uh, this uh, board game night that we do, where we play R and B music. I I have a wife and two daughters, and they are great dancers, all of them. And when a particularly incredible R and B song comes on, where you really can't help but dance, yep. they, they just, just stop. To it. They just stop everything and they start dancing. And I'm a really terrible dancer. Uh, if you watched Becky's video from last week, you'll hear a little story about my dancing ability. But I'm a terrible dancer. But the music carries me away too, and I just go out and thrash around to the music as well. That's not standing on the sidelines, that's entering into play whenever you have the opportunity to enter into play, to create delight and laughter whenever you can. So that's characteristic of Jesus living in the kingdom of God as well. The last one we have here is the, this pressure that we have during this time to elevate family over everything. In fact, uh, I mentioned before, Thanksgiving is almost like a holiday about family. The, the mythic promise of family in our life is what's celebrated at Thanksgiving, and uh, in one of the uh, lessons that Bev and I created for this In Pursuit of Jesus exploration, it's a 10-week um, adventure into the heart of Jesus, uh, one of those is called Jesus and True Family. 
and where we simply explore Jesus's relationship to family. What, how did he see family? What did he, what, did he see it the way we do? Does, did he see it the way Focus on the Family does, for instance? And actually, his relationship with family was complicated. He, he insisted that we honor our parents. Uh, that, that's very clear in what he says. But at the same time, he said, my real family, my true family, is much broader than just my parents and my siblings, and they are really family. You know, there's the, the, the time when um, Jesus was in a crowded room teaching, and someone came up to him and said, your mother and your brother are outside waiting, they can't get in. And they're like saying, well, they're your mother and brother, can you give the word so that they can get special treatment and get in the room, because the room's packed, it's sold out in here. And Jesus said, well, this is my mother and my brother right here. He was trying to expand the definition of family from just his, his, his blood family, so to speak, to those who had been grafted into his family. He's saying, hey, when you've been grafted into me, if you're a branch grafted in the vine, you really are my family. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. You, you're part of my family. And so in our life as well, when we think about the expectations of family during this time, well, I just want to throw this out to you. Um, it's important not to worship family during this season of our life. Let me say that again. It's important not to worship family. We're not called to worship our family. We're called to worship Jesus and honor our family. I think it's really important to kind of zoom in on what Rick is trying to say here. A lot of times I've had that that verse thrown in my face a lot, honor your mother and father. It, it, it's an important verse. It is a totally true verse. It is, it is an expectation of those who follow Jesus. But when you zoom in um, on what Jesus said and did and how he did it, there are there are quite a few accounts where he's modeling what it meant to honor his parents. And that one is a really good example. He was honoring his mother in that situation. Um, he was honoring her and he was still showing something bigger than that verse. He, he was He was broadening our perspective about what he actually meant by that. Um, and I, so I was telling Rick this, you know, I have five sisters and three brothers and most people who know me know how complicated that actually is because it's through, it's not like I am from a family where I, my, you know, my mother and my father birthed all these children. It's, it's like the Brady very Bunch on steroids. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's more than just a blended family. It's a multi-blended family situation. And we don't use the word step or half um, in my family. We don't actually use X, the word X step or X sister, or like, we just don't do that. Um, we are, we are very, um, we are very functionally, um, functionally dysfunctional in the way that we've decided to do this. My dad actually kind of said parents divorce and kids don't. Um, that was kind of his thing was, you know, your parents, they've gotten divorced, but you don't, you're not divorced. You're not a divorced person. So you get to keep your moms and your sisters and that all gets to stay intact regardless of how your parents make these choices. And that was just what was instilled in, in us. Some people find that really strange. But when you have five sisters and three brothers and six sets of parents <laughs> um, who have remarried and you just adopted them too, you just take them all in. Um, it's very complicated at the holidays. We all, we live, we span the entire United States and so it's costly to travel. It's costly to be together. Now there's uh, their children are in the mix and they've got 
spouses and their families. And it's really complicated. I deal with a lot of stress around the holidays, particularly because of this particular issue. And it has been really, really hard to disappoint people. And I know, Rick, you deal with this as well. It's actually the financial stuff is hard. The busyness is hard. But this part is actually probably the most devastating part of um, my holiday season is feeling like I'm just constantly disappointing people. Yeah, and and if you think about uh, when Jesus was 12 and he's in the temple and his family leaves and he's not with them and they have to return and the parents come back, Mary and Joseph are frustrated. What are you doing here? And he and he says, I thought you would have known I was in my father's house. And Jesus is expanding what family is. He's respecting his parents, mm-hmm. but he's also, he gives a nod to the macro reality of his family. And I just want to throw this out as the last thing we'll give you today. As you think about your family during this time, that you would first honor Jesus and the Spirit's nudges in you about your connections and your intimacy with Him and your broader family, which includes people who have been grafted into His family. So if you come to a place where your biological family is maybe frustrated because you don't have the kind of time they they wanted to have from you because you uh, have expanded your connections to your larger family, just remember that, um, that you're following in the footsteps of Jesus here. You're, you are living in the heart of Jesus when you are doing that. Your family is broader than your biological family, and it's okay to set boundaries around that because of it. Uh, so just to throw that out for you to think about, so the four things we we just talked about, just to recap as we close here, are Sabbath, living with rest in the midst of all this, meal times, thinking through these meal times as such an important part of the, this this time in, in our in our life, and remembering that it's a metaphor for intimacy in so many ways, playfulness, taking time to play along the way, and then uh, remembering that Jesus elevated a, a larger family over our biological family, that, that, and he asked us to honor our biological family, but not forget that we are part of a bigger family as well. So, Before we close, I just want to re- remind everyone that we have a group um, that's called the Pigs. Um, the reason why we call it the Pigs is because pigs go all in, and we're all in for Jesus. Um, there's more about that in a chapter from the Jesus-Centered Life by Rick called Living a Pig Life. So if that is something you want to learn more about, pick up Jesus-Centered Life. Um, but this is a private Facebook group, and we do kind of special things. Rick mentioned earlier, you may have watched a video that I did in Rick's cubicle. That was actually only available on the Pig's Facebook group. It wasn't to the larger audience. So if you want to have access to that, what happened, and I'm not going to tell you the whole thing, you got to join to see the video, um, was I found something very sparkly on Rick Lawrence's desk. Sparkly. And I wasn't sure what it was. And so Rick did a live video explaining what this sparkly trophy thing was on his desk and how it relates to his new book coming out. So he kind of gave a sneak peek into a chapter of his new book. Those are the kinds of things that happen on the pigs. Also just a lot of prayer and support and ministry. So join that. It's You can look in the description of whatever you're listening on and click on show full description, and you can click on the link to join the pigs. And Sparkly, by the way, I believe is one of the names of My, my Little Pony. 
that 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 universe. I'm I'm sure Sparkly oh, wow. is one of the names of the little. This ponies. is a father of two daughters. <laughs> yeah. Hey gang, thanks for again for listening. Um, thanks for being a part of this community. And remember, you can, as Becky just said, find out more information about everything we talked about today on the JesusCenterLife.com in our podcast section. This particular one is season two, episode thirty-seven. Again, it's paying ridiculous attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from Life Tree. You can subscribe to us on iTunes for all of our latest podcasts. And Becky Nieder and I will see you again next week when we're starting to talk about the supernatural. Ooh. See you next week. Bye.